Hello and welcome back to another episode of Keto Talks, the podcast where we go through the week of exciting and interesting stories on Guido Forks. My name's Tom Harwood, and again, I'm joined by founder and editor of Guido Forks, Paul Staines, and reporter Christian Calgi. Well, this week has been quite a week of groundbreaking news, so let's dive right in with the turmoil at the top of number 10. Uh, we've seen Lee Kane, the uh, chief spokesperson for Boris Johnson resigned this week, effective at the end of the year. Um, but Paul, how does this come about? Well, it sort of was bubbling up all day and we knew that there were uh, movements going on. No one was really commenting. And then I think, was it uh, Laura Koonsberg tweeted that Lee Kane had resigned. So all the whispers that we were hearing and uh, what was interesting about this, what people weren't saying, we knew something major was going on. It was a head-to-head -head battle over Lee Kane wanting to get the chief of staff job because he not unreasonably felt that if she was going to be the face and the press spokesman, uh, he would be kind of in a lesser position and out of the loop to some extent because uh, Allegra, we now realise, has arranged that she would report directly to the Prime Minister, not to him. So he tried to bounce the situation. And I think Boris was, from more reports, and I don't know this for myself, was willing to give him the chief staff job, but there was a bit of a backlash. And it is a proxy for tensions with Don Cummings, let's be honest. And tensions with the whole Vote Leave gang, really, and everyone else, and, and, and really, bubbling up through a lot of MPs' discontent with government communications in general. Well, there's, there's been a lot of analysis that shows actually, in terms of pure communications, it hasn't been that bad. What's been, what's been pretty bad over the last few months is the policy direction, which has been uh, swinging about, oscillating and U-turning, and it's quite hard to deliver good comms for bad policy. Well, there's um, the old, there's the old, that's the old Blairite uh, saying, bad policy leads to bad comms. So if you don't have a clear, straightforward policy, you're going to have a messy uh, communication strategy. And that's what we've had. But this all happened within the space of a, a few minutes on, I think it was Wednesday evening, when, um, as you said, Laura Kay sent out her tweet. And within a minute of that, I was being WhatsApp fully formed statements, one of resignation and one of acceptance by the Prime Minister, um, that uh, had been prepared, obviously, earlier. So this, this was uh, an anticipated event. But yeah, they, they've, we... they've at least managed the exit without too much mess, uh, as much as you can expect in this situation. And, and, and we, should, we should say we should say we're recording this on Thursday. So so unless there are any more resignations in the next day or so, um, that might be a let's not let's not jinx it. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course there was some speculation that um, Dom Cummings was saying that he was fifty fifty. That um, pivotal people in the Brexit unit, like Oliver Lewis, um, were saying that, that that if Dom goes, they go. There's a very loyal band of vote leave people. I there. didn't understand the speculation that uh, Lord Frost, David Frost, was going to go. I mean, he wasn't vote leave. He's got quite an important job on his plate at the moment. Mm. So I wonder what the thinking was behind ever, whoever briefed that, because he pretty firmly made it known that he was going nowhere. 
I think that someone might have got the wrong end of the stick because, of course, the team under David Frost is uh, very vote leave. A lot of the people um, who work in that unit that's both chivying the civil service but also working on the political detail of the future relationship units um, do have that vote leave hinterland and that loyalty to Don Cummings. So I suppose um, Frost could have been in the situation whereby his authority was swept out from under his feet. But yeah, as you say, I don't think he was ever um, really going to resign. So before we jinx anything any further, we should probably move <laughs> on to another topic. And this was, of course, uh, the good news that came at the start of the week. Um, so aside from sort of the government falling apart internally in number 10, there has been some amazing um, progress when it comes to the, uh, a potential vaccine for coronavirus, a way to get us all back to um, to normal, a way to establish rapidly that scary phrase herd immunity, which is really just a sort of scientific phrase to say that the, va the, the um, virus can't really bounce from person to person because enough people are immune. You can either deliver that through infecting lots of people, which leads to lots of deaths, or giving lots of people vaccinations, which leads to many, many, many fewer deaths, um, very obviously. So this has been um, miraculous news, and there was some quite funny reaction um, from people who were reporting it, Calgary. Yes, well, we, we have this, uh, as you say, uh, excellent news. And then we had a member of the vaccine uh, task force, Sir John Bell, uh, then go on to the BBC uh, and, and put it in, in as blunt terms as we've heard so far that this vaccine, uh, he is very confident, will allow us to get back to normal by next spring. And there was this wonderful footage of the BBC Sarah Montague fist pumping the air as uh, I think many many people were and I know Paul's much more skeptical on this but but frankly even if you do take it with a pinch of salt and you know Boris had to go on air that night and be a massive mood killer so uh, so people uh, stayed solemnly uh, you know sticking with the current lockdown and not releasing too early but you know we are there is now fundamentally uh, the, the best thing, the best part of the news is that there is now an end in sight. Um, and that gives us that gives us hope. And, and frankly, for me, for millions of others in Britain, there just hasn't been that for, for many, many months. So it's a very happy day for me and many others. There is there is a, a significant fraction, uh, fraction of the population. I think polling shows about 15, 16 percent who and probably it feels like a lot more when you go in the comments on Guido, who think this is some kind of lizard plan to take over the world, and Bill Gates is going to put microchips, and the vaccination is going to give us mind control, and the Great Reset is upon us. And I have to say, and I know we're going to get loads of emails, that I think people like James Zellingpole pushing this kind of line are frankly bonkers. You know, it's just, there is no conspiracy. I'm sorry to tell you that you are not important enough to be microchipped by Bill Gates. <laughs> he doesn't care. Uh. I mean, I, if you're watching this, and we're getting a lot of hate mail and email saying, I can't believe you guys are falling for this. Joe Biden is going to be president of America. <laughs> and we are not all going to be working for Bill Gates. So can you just, I know people are going a bit crazy, stir crazy at home. But can we connect with the real world? Oh, and wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the other thing, right? 
we, I mean, as people who are relatively sceptical of government intervention in the best of times, we're used to all of these government bodies not allowing us to have things. They, these regulatory bodies are really heavy-handed when it comes to preventing products coming to market. And now people are trying to suggest that somehow these regulatory bodies are super um, relaxed about letting anything into the market and somehow they won't be really, really rigorous when it comes to regulating a safe product um, that, that can come out and vaccinate people. I mean, pick a side, right? Either, either you think that usually these regulatory bodies are overzealous with their heavy handedness at preventing products um, circulating in the UK, or you think that they're going to be really slapdash and let it all go. You can't have both sides. And really, I think a lot of people are, are, are cross-dressing when they come to this issue and sort of pretending bodies that they have complained about for years as being overly bureaucratic and overly stifling of innovation and new products are now suddenly going to be all slapdash about it. I mean, it, it just what, doesn't really stand up to any sort of scrutiny. I thought you were in favour of cross-dressing. Am I confused? <laughs> <laughs> Let people do what they want to do. Yeah, unless you don't want to take the vaccine, in which case, punishment. I, I think it's a Darwinian process. They don't take the vaccine. They're more likely to suffer if they catch it. But well, no, I think here's, here's, here's where I think a problem is, though, because obviously um, there are some people who can't take the vaccine for medical reasons, um, uh, people who, are, who have immune deficiencies, for example. Um, and that means that really, in order to stop coronavirus, we need to reach herd immunity which means that a significant enough chunk of the population need to either get it or be vaccinated that it can't be pinging around. So even though if I get coronavirus, and I think I've probably had it, I'm really not likely to die. It's a mild cold for me. If I had a comorbidity or if I was really old, I'd probably die. So it's worthwhile me getting vaccinated to stop uh, me being uh, the chain of transmission going through people like me to reach the vulnerable. It's the best way to protect the vulnerable to get the most people as possible vaccinated. But, uh, but, uh, but aside from all the armchair epidemiology, which we've been doing a lot of in the last few weeks, we should probably get back to news. Um, because of course, it was also this week in this busy news filled week, Remembrance Day on the 11th on Wednesday. And Remembrance Day was somewhat hijacked at the Cenotaph when Extinction Rebellion decided to trample over the poppy wreaths that were laid at the Cenotaph and plonk their own anti-war, um, anti-climate change, climate change causes war, big protest banner over these memorials to the dead. And it really seemed deeply, deeply inappropriate. So inappropriate, actually, that um, a rather quite um, 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 happy, I suppose, Tory MP messaged me on Wednesday evening to say that the Extinction Rebellion um, protest banner had now been removed. It hadn't been completely removed by the police. It actually had been removed by a Tory MP after it was lying at the Cenotaph for hours. And so they took it away and put it in a plastic bin bag and now presumably have it back at their MP's flat in Westminster. And good on them for taking it away and for, and for doing what really the police should have done and removing this disgraceful mm -hmm. desecration of the National Memorial. But of course, of course it, was, it turned out to be... Uh, the West Dorset MP Chris Loder, who uh, eventually uh, owned up to it. Uh, much sounder replacement for his uh, predecessor, Oliver Letwin, I'm sure, 
uh, readers are far more approving of of the current incumbent uh, incumbent there. But it's uh, an absolutely um, you know incredible move from Extinction Rebellion. Every time you think they can't come up with a more you know bullet in the foot strategy to lose as much support from the population as possible they desecrate a war memorial uh five minutes before 11 o'clock on armistice day uh it's almost like they're being funded by the you know big pollution and they want uh, as, as little support for uh pro uh, anti-climate change policy as possible Incredible. They're beginning to remind me of the Westboro Baptists, you know, those crazies who just do yeah. these outrageous um, demonstrations that they deliberately wind up people, you know, can say that God wanted the veterans to die at funerals and stuff like that, you know, and they get a lot of attention, but it's not of a good kind. And mm. I wonder if they, they're, they're making the mistake of thinking any publicity is good publicity. That was terrible. But is it a mistake? I mean, after all, we're talking about them now. They got loads of news coverage and 95% of people are going to be disgusted by it. But the 5% of people who are cheering them might be more likely to join their tiny sectional um, organisation and they'll booster their, their troops on yeah, the ground, yeah. which is probably what they care about more. Uh, um, you're probably right. Yeah, which is, which is sad. So we should probably shut up about this and move on. Or ban them as a terrorist group. I mean, they do fit. We did, we did do a story on this a couple of months ago. In terms of all of the different sort of check boxes that you have to be for an extremist or terrorist group, um, whether it's um, threatening to um, attack people or property to achieve political aims, that's the definition of terrorism. They really do sort of um, meet that definition. Uh, do check out that article as well. So... Um, Moving on from these climate communists, we have got um, one of our biggest, most read stories this week um, was a bizarre discovery that was made um, within Boris Johnson's congratulation tweet to Joe Biden. He tweeted out this picture of, of, of words congratulating um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but um, within the picture, it was discovered uh, was almost a secret message, something that clearly had been overwritten, a previous uh, congratulatory message where you could clearly make out the words uh, Trump, um, second term, and a couple of other things, but very, very faint. You have to sort of open it up in Photoshop and adjust all the settings to try and show um, exactly I, what I it's feel we, I feel we can't be too critical because it's the kind of screw-up we would do you know, you leave, the, you leave the Photoshop files on the computer in the office. Oh, but you emailed a final version to a work colleague. I'll, I'll use that. Oh, no, it's got the wrong message. Oh, it's the wrong one. Oh, I'll just overlay it. No one will notice. You know. <laughs> well, you yeah. say it's the sort of thing we do, but I'm going to distance myself from this because when I sit next to Tom in the office, my OCD starts going off because he layers and layers multiple story graphics throughout the weeks on top of each other whereas i when i'm done with the photoshop it's gone so you know if i'd been running the graphics department they would have been two separate graphics it wouldn't have been a problem um but you know it's a a, a massive com success uh for well, lee kane to celebrate from his final week 
Well, 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 this you know, was, gonna... was bonkers, wasn't it? Because they had they didn't have two different messages. The the result was called on a Saturday, so clearly not the ordinary graphics team. Um, wasn't in um, wasn't in number ten, and and they didn't have two graphics ready to go. They had to presumably mess around with an existing one to change it. I mean, it's it wasn't hard to predict the result of the U.S. election. I'm amazed that Downing Street somehow thought it would go the mm. other way, or were more and prepared it, for the other way, perhaps. And it's it's that. <laughs> <laughs> were they were they hoping? Half our readers think it did go the other way, mate. <laughs> <laughs> It's all a conspiracy. Uh, it's all subliminal messaging to, to keep the faithful exactly. inside by Boris. Well, no it was doubt. a worldwide no story. It got worldwide pickup, that story. It and, was great. Uh, it, well, it, because the, the reason it mattered wasn't necessarily on its own, because on its own it was just a sort of comms cock-up, but it was in conjunction with a general perception, right or wrong, especially over the pond, that this Downing Street has been pretty reluctant to open on welcome Biden, especially Rob, uh, had really uh, quite a recalcitrant attitude towards the victory and kept, you know, being, you know, half-hearted about it. And He's then you look at that and you think, actually, that is the view that a lot of people are going to think is, maybe maybe they didn't want Biden to win and they were holding He's out. A, He's a lawyer. They're cautious. And he's 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 not, he was asked a gotcha question by I think Sophie Ridge, and as a cautious lawyer, he wasn't going to jump the gun and say Dewey had won the election. You know, as as famously the uh, the, the Chicago Tribune reported the wrong presidential winner at the night. Before. You know that was he wasn't going to be the famous. For that was he? That was his point. Well, I, th I think so the question—the question that Sophie Ridge asked was—should every vote be counted in a democracy? And, uh, well, that and so, and well, so, that, the that thing was... is, if he'd his his explanation was, if he'd said yes, then she could have come back and said that. Well, not every vote has been counting. You know, all of these states are still counting; they've just been called by the networks. I mean, that could have been a sideways angle that she took that with. So, I mean, yes, he did dodge the question, but there are multiple reasons as to why he might have done that. But on the Sunday on the Andrew Marr show, there was a senator from Delaware, Joe Biden's home state, the senator who replaced Joe Biden in the Senate when he became vice president, a longtime friend of Joe Biden, who spoke to Andrew Marr about um, attitudes towards Britain and specifically Boris Johnson. And this was really quite well read and well shared on Sunday on Guido, because it was perhaps... Um, not the most obvious answer. It perhaps surprised certainly the BBC. This Democrat sen senator was singing the praise of Boris Johnson, saying that when he'd met Boris Johnson, as I think it was Foreign Secretary then or whatever, um, he, he had been um, erudite and intelligent and concerned with um, similar concerns. And he thought that the president would get on very well with Boris Johnson. All of these things, whereas sort of all these journalists on Twitter had been saying, oh, they're going to hate each other. It's going to be really hard for the these two to get along. Well, actually, not only did this Democrat senator sing the praises of Boris, but also Joe Biden gave Boris Johnson his first European phone call of any world leader. I think he was the second world leader after Justin Trudeau that Joe Biden called upon assuming yeah. 
yeah, the first European leader, the second in the world. Um, and, and that really confounded a lot of people. It went from suddenly being a big issue of, oh, will he get a phone call, to suddenly no one cares about it because it didn't go the way that the there were journalists a, there wanted were a lot it. Of, there were a lot of very disappointed hacks who had to delete their articles <laughs> about how this shows he was in the, in the penalty box. And you could see it, you could see a kind of uh, a lobby on Twitter kind of deflating at the Press forward, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, especially as there was another comms cock-up whereby the uh, Irish government put out a tweet saying they'd spoken to Joe Biden on the phone, uh, when actually the Taoiseach Michael Martin hadn't spoken to Joe Biden. He was mm. behind Boris in the queue, and a lot of red-faced journalists initially started gloating that somehow Brexit Britain was irrelevant because Ireland came before, whereas actually it was the other way round. And of course, it, it was very positive for both sides, but there was a... Uh, tactical reason from the Biden camp to prioritise Boris, not just the special relationship, but also the closer, the, the more accepting that Boris Johnson appears to be that Biden is the president-elect, then it's a real thorn in the side of uh, a lot of Trump supporters over in America who presumed that uh, Boris was a, a big Trump supporter when actually I think the reality is that he's been relying on Trump for the trade deal, but actually diplomatically, he's been a bloody nightmare the whole time. There's been a lot of, you know, gritted teeth uh, dealing with Trump and uh, the world, the UK is, is, is sort of relaxing in their chairs to return to a, a period of normality. So you much so that, possibility there was a... that, that Joe Biden did it deliberately to wind up Trump a little bit more. Mm. Definitely. That's true, although, although there has obviously been a, a big Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office effort to uh, ingratiate themselves with the Biden team, and, and that was a bit of a diplomatic coup getting that second global call. Um, and but, I, but, also, I I, but also Boris Johnson's uh, rhetoric in, this week has been almost gushing towards Joe Biden, there was a standout moment in Prime Minister's Questions that we clipped and we put on the site, whereby Boris Johnson said that uh, Joe Biden's presidency was refreshing. And he noted um, several things that Donald Trump has been known to be sceptical about, from, um, uh, from global rules-based order to NATO, to trade, to climate change. change. Um, yeah. and, and these big issues that he mentioned were very clearly a dig at President Trump and a sort of, and a sop to President-elect Biden. I do, the, the, the last thing I'd say on it is that um, it's clearly got off to a good start, but even if it hadn't, I think if there's one leader uh, of the country that will be able to warm someone like Biden over to them, uh, if the perception on channels like CNN has not been correct um is boris and he's a very likable guy and i'm sure that when they meet when biden comes over for cop 26 uh, and for other international events i'm sure they'll they'll get on really well so on a personal basis i'm not worried about the special relationship yeah it's um, can you imagine if theresa may was hosting cop 26 and she was standing there in the corner of the room awkwardly not knowing how to speak to anyone and sort of shuffling her papers like a loner I'm sure i she mean could do some, this is where personality matters. 
I'm not sure they'd have anything to talk about whatsoever. This is why a lot of people sort of uh, dismiss the sort of bluster and, and, and personality of Boris. But actually, when it comes to world affairs, that's an asset, not a, not a liability. Being a presence in a room that people know about, that, that you can talk, make conversation with, that matters when it comes to representing your country's interests. Can you imagine at World of Forums when they said, you've got a one-on-one -on -one for half an hour with Gordon Brown? Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, it's the bar first, is it? <laughs> you notice well, he's not been invited onto any, any international committees or boards of big corporations or heading up big projects, you know. Uh, nobody wants to be stuck in a room with Gordon Brown for a long time. No, that's, um, it does seem that we sort of have um, oscillating premiership where you have someone with, with uh, presence in a room, Margaret Thatcher, to someone who's small and weedy, John Major. Someone presence in a room, whether you agree with him or not, Tony Blair, to someone who's a bit um, nerdy, uh, uh, Gordon Brown. Someone with a bit of presence in a room, maybe not as much as the other two, but, but David Cameron, to someone who's sort of a shrinking, um, um, nothing in the corner, Theresa May. And now you've got someone with presence again. It seems to go um, sort of up and so down you, in a very that, are you suggesting that Rishi is not going to be the next Prime Minister? It's going to be Matt Hancock? Or, <laughs> so or maybe Keir Starmer. Um, ah, but, perhaps. But, but on, on that note, we should probably park that topic and move on to a bit of fun we've been having on this website this week um, about a, a certain court case with a certain journalist. I'm not sure how much we can talk about this, but Paul, if you could just give a little hint as to what this is about. That's a nice way to round off the podcast. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that Carol had now been cornered in the courts. The judge has listened to all her uh, explanations and arguments and strategies and ruses and said, show us the money, or rather show us the evidence of Russian collusion or the backing of uh, Aaron Banks. And he's very specifically said, you have to give us the evidence. So she's, her defence for this has been multi-layered. There was the defence of truth, which is always a good defence against defamation. And I always, when, we're, uh, when we get our letters from uh, people say, no, it's true, can't do what you can. Or if we don't, if we're not certain, we just put it off the internet. It's probably sensible to be. Anyway, Carol has stuck to her guns, raised 300 odd thousand pounds, and... Um, the judge gave her 20, gave her 28 days. We are now 14 days away from her having to produce the evidence and not a peep has been said. And I noticed on Twitter she's not, she's not repeating the, the uh, allegations and she withdrew a sort of side issue uh, accusation where she said he'd been charged with Aaron Banks and broken the law. He's actually never broken the law um, related to uh, the Brexit campaign. So... Uh, I think I think she's losing her nerve. I mean, why, why hasn't she said anything? Why is all the bluster stopped? Is it? She's, she's running out of nerve, space. losing her mind. Really. Uh, I, I think that was last long time. But the thing is, she can't. She, if she says, if she gives in, of course, the money stops flowing, and she's only raised two thirds of what will be the costs award, presumably, because the costs are on both sides. We're running up towards. Half a million, I imagine. So um, it could be, and I think this will have consequences beyond um, just the, her personal situation. 
around the world and both sides of the Atlantic, the Russia hoax collusion. This is not to say that Russia didn't try to intervene, but that there was active participation by the likes of us on the on the vote leave side or the Republicans. And, you know, there, there just doesn't appear to have been any of that. And and that stuff was repeated in other places like Channel 4 News. So I think when she, if she loses this case, it will have repercussions. And quite cunningly, Andy Wigmore and Aaron Banks got permission from the judge to come back to this at any time in the future. So there's no time limit from them. At the beginning of the case, because defamations are time limited in the UK, at the beginning of the case, they got leave of the judge to come back to other parties. So watch this space is my advice. Wow. Well, what a bombshell to end this podcast on. We will be looking forward to reporting on the outcome of that case in 14 days time. But um, as for that, that's been the bumper week of news that this has been. Lockdown has not stopped the political process from churning on. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching and or listening to this podcast. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.